dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or savor a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I am so happy to be able to share a bit of Paso Robles with you. I was able to sit down with Nate Thompson, winemaker for Tim Shell Vineyards, at their tasting room in downtown Paso. We talk about what it's like to be in the wine industry in Paso, and we discuss their upcoming release of the newest vintage of Zinfandel. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Did you know you can do it right now? Literally, while you're listening. New ratings and reviews are how the algorithms decide which podcasts they recommend to others. And if you love the podcast, other wine lovers will too. And don't forget to add your email address to our newsletter on the website to keep up on all things exploring the wine glass. Slancha! Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, the UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, Somme service, champagne and Cotteron specialist, and a WSET level two graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Allure of the Poor, sponsored by Dracina Wines. Today, I am remote, and these are always the best episodes. Hey, I am at Tim Shell Vineyards, and we are on Riverside Drive. Road Avenue, Avenue. <laughs> Riverside, <laughs> Riverside Avenue, and in their somewhat new location that just got here, pretty much opened up in May, right? Right, yeah. Right. Very, very new. We've been around for a while, about eleven years, but uh, but yeah. new digs. Yes, new digs. New yes. digs. Yeah. Okay. And that other voice you are hearing is Nate Thompson, the winemaker here. And so let's start off with your, the Tim Shell's origin story. How did the winery come about? And then we'll get into your origin because I know you've got some pretty good, you know, things on that resume. It's round and about, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so we started in Chico, California up north in Butte County, actually. And so my folks planted an acre of vines because they loved wine and uh, they wanted to try it out. We had 40 acres of land up there, but we just wanted to start out small. And so uh, I started making the wine for them in 2010. And after I did my first harvest at Buena Vista in Sonoma and just fell in love with it. Uh, It was, I was a major in music. And so it was definitely, yeah, a switch for me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But my sister was like, just do a harvest, see if you like it. And I actually liked more of the vineyard side of it. That's where my career started going, all the while making wine on the side for my family label, Tim Shell. And uh, Tim Shell, so my mother's favorite book is East of Eden. Mm -hmm. And Tim Shell is the main theme in that book. And it's Hebrew for thou mayest. And thou mayest, essentially what that means is in that book, you have the right to choose your own fate, your own destiny, despite your upbringing, you know, 
parents that you had, uh, trauma that was in your life and whatsoever, you're able to make that choice. And so it's very much, you know, what we strive for here as far as our winemaking as well, our growing. Um, I'm also the farmer here and so I'm the vineyard manager. And um, we pretty much are winemaking, my winemaking technique is 80% of the wine is, is made in the vineyard. That's my philosophy. We're very low intervention here. So once you know, we grow those grapes and uh, put it in a barrel and don't add, do a lot of additions, just kind of let it do its own thing. You know, we, you know, we tweak it here and there if there's any issues uh, with uh, organic products. And so, uh, but yeah, that's kind of what Tim Shell's about. Yeah, all family owned, small, 500 cases or less. Okay. And uh, so yeah, very boutique, very small. And uh, yeah, it's good. My girlfriend's the marketing, wine club manager, tasting room manager, my dad's the CEO, and uh, winemaker and foreman. My brother's the accountant. You know, oh, like, <laughs> getting everybody yeah, in there. <laughs> so yeah, it's a team effort for sure. Yeah, so yeah. So when they first planted uh, back then, what did they plant? We did a mix. And so we were doing, we did a Cabernet Sauvignon primarily, and then a little bit of Zinfandel, Malbec, uh, Cab Franc, and then we, yeah, <laughs> we, I heard about your Cap Franke, so that's really cool. But uh, yeah, so we had a little Bordeaux blend kind of going, and uh, but it was predominantly Cabernet, and we kept that separate. And then we'd usually blend, or keep the Zin, and then do a blend of the other varieties. And so, yeah, and it was it was an interesting place to grow. It's at the base of uh, Lassen, uh, which when it blew, you know, however many years ago, volcanic rock went all over the valley uh, below and so we have very volcanic soils uh, a lot of minerality that are in our wines uh, which is interesting to work with so it's definitely a different profile than what you're going to get with Napa or even here as well so yeah so you were going to school for music mm -hmm. to to do what? Were, were you teaching music? Were you going to be in an orchestra somewhere? <laughs> uh, studio yeah, oh, okay. recording and engineering, yeah, and so I graduated during the recession, and so in 08, 09, so there just wasn't any work, and so, um, so it's pretty down, like, you know, just couldn't find anything, that's when my sister's like, just do a harvest, you'll have so much fun, and uh, I learned under uh, Jim Stewart at the time was the winemaker, he's one of the top, you know, winemakers in the country, and uh, he was a great teacher, and I've had that, been blessed to have had that over the years, working for different wineries and different growers that have a reputation, and they're willing to like give information, teach you how to make wine, and, you know, and and how to grow effectively, and and produce a lot of quality grapes in this area, and it's been really great. Yeah. I do think that's really something across the board about wine wine making mm -hmm. is if they're not the winemakers tend to want to share right right they want to and i think here in paso more so than any place else yeah. they're you know they're more generous it's not like this is my technique right you know it's like hey you know this worked yeah and, you know maybe you want to try that or something i yeah. think it's a special special business 
or you know community is right better. yeah and yeah definitely like you know i learn something new every year you know like i'll say be talking to you know tyler at nell winery over there and be like, yeah, it's just like something's funky going on here i was like let's try this you know like and uh so like stuff like that it's just really nice you know you can just uh get a lot of information and experience from really great winemakers in the area and so yeah so you did your first harvest at Buena Vista mm-hmm. and then your parents were like all right enough there come come to us uh, well I was <laughs> making wine for them on the side so, oh, I, was actually, okay, the so I was doing the harvest and when we would harvest our property I'd go home for the weekend and they were usually pretty cool about it and they're like okay yeah go ahead and go down uh, or go up and uh and do your harvest there and then come back and so i was doing that uh, and then i popped down here in 2011. Okay. i was working for jay lore at the time on their vineyard team under steve carter okay. and a uh, really great guy taught me a lot about growing uh, and then also my buddy johnny i uh, learned about a lot from him and he's the assistant uh, vineyard manager there now and uh, yeah just a really great uh, Segway of events and I just never left here. <laughs> just loved it. Yeah. So once you come, it's yeah. like it's like an addiction. I think the same thing to us. We we came one day, you know, one trip. Right. And we're like, damn, <laughs> we like it here, yeah. and then here we are. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So from Jay Lore, then you went to you went with your other. Yeah. So I was there for a couple of years, uh, and then. I got a full-time job on Vina Robles' team called VMI and uh, under Suki Saran there. And I was a vineyard foreman. Uh, we did 6,000 acres all split up, you know, between uh, all the way down to Santa Barbara County, oh, wow. actually. And so I was overseeing uh, Santa Barbara County, which was awesome because I love the wines there. It's actually where I started wine tasting and developing my palate very early. and. Uh, just a really great opportunity. We were making more quantity, uh, pumping out grapes, very sustainable growing, but not necessarily organic. And so it was a little hard for me. Uh, I learned so much. The first six months, what Suki had any of his foremans do is work in every section of the company. So I was uh, in maintenance in the mechanic room, like fixing tractors, pressures, and getting to know all the parts and everything. I was running errands to buy those parts. And, and then moving to you know, overseeing uh, multiple properties, which is eventually what I ended up doing, but also like learning about, um, they're called uh, RECs, uh, spray wrecks that you spray every year and scheduled out sprays and, and so that was incredibly knowledge on that was just amazing and so after six months you know every part of it and so you're able to just do it and so and i had an advantage uh, i grew up in the nursery business plant nursery business and so uh, I was, i'm slightly bilingual as far as and most of my foremans were uh, Mexican or Latino and uh, and they also another incredible you know thing of knowledge they've been mm-hmm. doing it for years longer than I have right. so uh, 
that was another great opportunity. Just like really great guys and wanting to teach and you know, and even though I was their boss, you know, it was very much like they knew more right. than me. So, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't gonna like. It was like, you know, I know what you know you're supposed to do, and they're like, you know, well, we can't do that right now because we got a storm coming up, or you know, like da 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 da, and uh, and so just really really great teachers out there in this community like you were mm-hmm. saying it's so, awesome yeah. yeah so you come here and then you're like hey mom dad this is this is a great place to be and, right okay. at that time i was going back and forth i was making wines up there as well as down here uh for a tin show and so it was difficult uh, <laughs> to say <laughs> the least and so it was um challenging so eventually I got laid off from Vina Robles in 2015 at the beginning of the year. And I said, Dad, I don't want to work for anybody anymore. I want to go do my own kind of growing. I want to do quality. I want to do organic. I want to start doing biodynamic. And I want to do full into the winemaking for Tim Shell. And he's like, great. I was around the same age and I did the exact same thing. So started my own company, Everyman Vineyards, uh, which okay. is my vineyard management company. And I do one to five acre lots. A lot of these homeowners in the area, they have these small vineyards. Right. And a lot of them won't get managed by the bigger companies because it's really just not worth it to the homeowner financially and then also to the uh, management company as well. And so um, that's where I come in. And so I do all organic growing uh, for them. And um, yeah, it just really worked out and I have Three, three and a half acre vineyards here. Uh, one down in, uh, I think technically it's Rio Grande. It's on yeah. that line between Grover and Rio Grande. But yeah, that just really worked out. We moved everything down here, all the winemaking. Uh, we were sharing a place with Bill Pony in San Luis Obispo, uh, their production down there. And then also um, moved to uh, one of the vineyards. They had a shop there, and so we were making wine there actually just moved out of there uh, this year, uh, earlier this year. And then uh, we made this our production facility before harvest and yeah, so. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Big steps, baby steps that that turn into bigger steps and bigger steps, but really rooting yourself here. Right, yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, we got a great team down here in the downtown area, which we're excited about you joining, (laughs) so. but yeah, just, just honestly, like comes down to like really good people, people wanting to protect the land, you know, not use as much water, you know, right. do better farming practices, and yeah, just doing it right, and doing it, having a community. So. Yeah. So those vineyards that you're working for, those small vineyards, is that where you're sourcing your fruit, or exactly? Okay. So it's as close to a state as you can get uh, without owning your own property and vineyards. So, yeah, so like what we, what, and I do that because I want to oversee what I'm getting and uh, I put exactly into it uh, what I want it to turn out as. And, uh, and so, yeah, we source from those vineyards and we also sell, you know, we don't take all that fruit. Uh, we sell the Loma Drum, uh, Jordan Collins over there and uh, he makes a rose with our fruit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's fantastic. And uh, also Tribeca, a little bit of a smaller label, and 
Conquer Wines over in Tent City uh, has taken some of our Syrah. But yeah, we just uh, it's starting to develop that vineyard, Homestead Vineyards, is starting to develop a uh, reputation. reputation. Yeah, and so it's exciting. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's a this is my was my sixth vintage with them uh, okay. for that vineyard, and so it's it's been really great to watch that um, bloom and uh, into a reputable vineyard and uh, yeah. So you do organic and biodynamic. So how biodynamic? Like, because my understanding, like, you can go way, way out there. Like, right, you yeah. can only stir counterclockwise at, at a half moon, or you know, things right. like that. Yeah. Or are you more soil-based biodynamic? Yeah. So, like, one of our, I'd say, right now we're at like twenty-five percent. If you're doing percentages, biodynamic. One of the big things that we do is we don't spray any insecticides. Uh, what we have is a, a bio control program, which is using only insects to get rid of uh, beneficial insects to get rid of our problem child's uh, insects. And leaf hoppers is probably, or it is our biggest issue uh, right now. And that's really all across the board. Um, I actually ran into the uh, vineyard uh, foreman or one of them at Tablas Creek and uh, we were talking about leaf poppers this year and how much of a problem it is and again community you know we're both like just for an hour <laughs> and just going back and forth on like you know uh, you know we're doing all these beneficial insects and everything and he's like yeah us too uh, but these bugs are adapting you know you know, it's evolution. Yeah. And so, because uh, even the the things that we spray that aren't insecticides particularly uh, irritate them, but it doesn't irritate them anymore. So one of the things that they I... They gain a resistance to it. Exactly, yeah. And so they're developing for sure. So what I try to do with the beneficial insects is hit them at every single stage of their uh, growth cycle. And so you have the egg, you have the nymph, uh, or sorry, uh, larva, and then the nymph, and then the adult stage. Uh, particularly, you want to hit them before they get to that adult uh, stage because they have a pretty hard exoskeleton on them, and so um, they're able to uh, get past anything and, and be more maneuverable in other right. insects, beneficial insects. Uh, but one of the things that we're going to start doing, I was talking to him about, is planting um, cover crops that repel them. And so the one thing that I found randomly and funny is petunias and geraniums. Oh. They have that. Geraniums repel a lot of, yeah, right. I didn't, yeah. They're more mosquitoes yeah. and like flies and, and, and gnats and that of the petunias apparently. Really? It's specifically with leafhopper, which is interesting, so. We're going to try that. It'll probably look very beautiful. <laughs> yeah, at the very least, it's making everything pretty, right? Yeah, so we're going to, I'm going to be uh, getting some seedlings. Um, my dad's still in the nursery business, so he's able to get really small seedlings. We're going to grow those um, over the off season here. And uh, yeah, just see if it, if it works. And uh, uh, Topless Creek Vineyard Foreman, I'm forgetting his name, but he's like, yeah, let me know how it goes. Because <laughs> Topless Creek is fully dynamic. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so um, they're picking on 
right yeah moon cycles yeah. and everything and so yeah it's just uh you, you have to adapt and mm -hmm. when they adapt so right. yeah yeah so mm -hmm. that's probably the biggest biodynamic thing that we do mm -hmm. we only do organic fertilizers that go into the soil so it's a lot of fish emulsion mm -hmm. and i get that from a company in santa maria and uh, uh but yeah it definitely is 100% organic but yeah we're starting to get more into the biodynamic um even though it's very difficult mm -hmm. yeah so yeah yeah but you know what does reap its rewards yes you yeah know, you can you can see differences in and you can taste it yeah, yeah. it's definitely and it's not just because it's a, a fruit day versus a leaf day you can taste the difference right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's just, i definitely find myself enjoying and i think it's just being out there but the vineyard side of it yeah. you know it's being outside and that's kind of a big nature guy so uh, I love the winemaking too, but yeah, primarily it's a lot of my winemaking is out there mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I can change the tannic structure, uh, by exposing the fruit more and removing the leaves and, you know, toughening the skins a little bit, you know, I, I can do it on the morning side or I can do it on the afternoon side, you know, uh, watering as far as not watering, uh, when. Regulating, yeah, my pH levels. I don't water a lot at all. Um, it's just my style, and um, and that concentrates the flavors as well. Yeah, we've been really successful, and uh, primarily with Rhones in this area, okay. we're starting to segue. A lot of our uh, Bordeaux that we've done have been uh, a mix of uh, Chico wines. Uh, oh, okay. And here as well, we're segueing definitely out of those. Mm -hmm. um, I think our last vintage is we're going to be bottling. Uh, actually, a couple of them, like the cab is done. Uh, we don't have any more of that. Butte County makes us all Paso now, and uh, yeah, I think we're we have bottled everything mm -hmm. that was mixed, and so everything now is going to be from Paso, which is fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And most of your vineyard sites are in the Templeton Gap. Yes. Okay, so what is so special about the Templeton Gap? But let, let's explain where the Templeton Gap is in our sure. wonderful nestled AVAs. Yeah, so <laughs> the lines are funny here, uh, definitely. <laughs> but Templeton Gap is essentially, it's uh, Highway 46. And I'm not sure how far north of it it is, but Highway 46 uh, going west towards the ocean. And, and it curves and goes all the way past the 101, east of the 101, very slightly again, and then uh, comes up a little bit more back up to the 46. And so it's that area right in there. So you have um, Che Ducey, uh, Zaneda, uh, Vento, Turley uh, out there, some really great wineries out there. but. What makes that so special is the climate is is just amazing. So that's a, a funnel right there. Uh, ocean breeze actually comes in from Cambria and the ocean over there. And so what happens is we'll have a, you know, a really hot day, like 115 degrees, like we did in late August and September here. It was like two weeks of over 115. Uh, what happens is we only get like an hour or two of that. Uh, when you're in the Templeton Gap, and then about four to five o'clock, it starts cooling down. Uh, 
and dramatically. Uh, a breeze starts coming in from the ocean, that cooler weather. So you have this drastic changing mm-hmm. weather, climate, and it just, it adds, you know, a much more complexity with acids, um, in my opinion. Uh, you're not, so the valley doesn't get any of that breeze, obviously, like uh, Fresno and then uh, Visalia and all that area where they're growing, Lodi, where they're growing Zins. So it's hot constantly, it doesn't cool down. And a lot of their wines, they'll lose their acid uh, as the sugars go up. This makes for a longer ripening time in the temple tin gap, uh, which you're able to get more complex flavors. The seeds get a little bit more toasted, uh, which creates a nice uh, different tannic profiles. Again, the acidity, uh, you can watch that. And uh, it's able to retain that. And uh, yeah, you just get more complex uh, flavors. And in my opinion, uh, but yeah, it's uh, as compared to like Valley wines and even like East Side of Paso too. Uh, you're getting higher alcohols. You know, your acids are dropping a lot quicker. So you have to, if you're sensitive to that and you're not adding in a lot of acid. Uh, then you have to pick a lot earlier, lower alcohols. And uh, I naturally just do that anyway, just because I care more about acid uh, than I do about alcohol levels. Yeah. So a lot of my wines are uh, lower in alcohol primarily. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah. And so it's actually one of the cooler, right? It's Adelaide is the only one that's cooler than Tinker? Yeah, Tinker? definitely Adelaide is cooler, cooler just because they're in that mountain range right, right there. And a lot of their grapes, uh, just because of the ranges and higher elevation, um, you know, a lot of vineyards have like, uh, they'll be planted on either afternoon side or morning side, so they'll get shade sometimes right. even. I had a couple of vineyards that I managed in there, uh, which were like next to Dow, and uh, just, and then in pockets, like, and which can be a lot cooler. And uh, so yeah, and it, sometimes it snows up there. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, and, uh, but yeah, they're definitely, the, the colder, yeah, yeah, out there. That's how uh, Jack Sellers is able to grow Pinot out there, and so, uh, yeah, they get it first too. That breeze coming okay. in, so yeah. Right. yeah. And so it kind of cut starts there, and then wraps into the Templeton Gap, mm-hmm. and then it does actually make it over to Australia. But by the time it makes it over to Australia, it's like yeah, a puff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and but it still cools down it's just much later. Yeah, yeah. And so. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a really, just the entirety of the area, you're just able to grow so many different varieties here. And that's what makes it fun, and you're able to grow them in different ways. And I've tried, like, they call it, you know, west side, like a west side, cooler climate Zinfandel, and like uh, more on the east side kind of Zinfandel. But I even think there's more than that. Like, you know, there, I think there's like, Five different microclimates that you can grow in in different ways, and it's just it's an amazing. Like Santa Margarita has their own special right. special niche, and it's just the wines from there are just fan, going back to Zen. It's just like really interesting, just how many ways you can make it, and, yeah. and that's with every variety in this area. It's just really fun. Yeah. So, what varieties do you farm, um, and then what varieties are you farming everything that that 
does Tim Shell represent everything you farm, or are there? Pretty much, uh, it's about 80%. Okay. Yeah, and so uh, we're looking to get fully 100%, uh, but for right now, yeah, prim- primarily we grow roans. Uh, that's what we special, what I specialize in, and uh, I did have a vineyard, a Zinfandel vineyard, that I uh, grew for right behind uh, Target and by Jay Ducey over there on 46. Uh, he ripped that out at the beginning of this year, but uh, those were head pruned. Uh, yeah, they're beautiful. 15 years old, they were in their prime. Please don't tell me to put in cap, because then I'll <laughs> no. He didn't put anything. Okay. He, was old, he was an older guy and didn't want to do it anymore. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's fine. And uh, But, yeah, that's what this is in 18 that I have here. And then also uh, Barrel Taste of 2020 came from those um, same... Uh, same vineyard right there and uh, a lot of uh, limestone soil there so there's a little bit of minerality Mm -hmm. but you know technically this is like a a mix to me a a mix between a cold and hot climates and it has some nice you know deep fruit characteristics as well Um, but it's not overly jammy or anything but then it has like the pepperiness and like a little bit of minerality that you're going to get like with a cold climate mm-hmm. zen. So it's just, again, like microclimates mm-hmm. in this area. And now a word from our sponsor. Dracaena Wines loves to give back. There are so many fur babies that deserve to find their forever home. We would love to be able to help as many as possible. If you are part of a nonprofit organization or know of a nonprofit organization that would like to hold a fundraiser, please contact us at contact at dracinawines.com or visit our website, dracinawines.com, to fill out the form. How does the fundraiser work? It is super simple and costs your group absolutely nothing. Together, we will choose a month that your group will be sponsored. During the month, you promote the fundraiser just like any other event you'd hold. At the end of the month, we will donate 20% of the sales to your organization. The donations will be made in the name of each individual who purchased the wine so that you know exactly who helped the animals. Our goal is to raise as much funds as we possibly can and to help as many animals as possible. So please help us help as many fur babies as we possibly can. Is Zinfandel like your baby? Um, is that your, is, if, you, if you had to pick a favorite child, yeah. is Zinfandel your favorite child? <laughs> Grenache is definitely my favorite. Oh, okay. Yeah. Favorite yeah. to grow, favorite to make. It really, you can dictate a lot how you can make it. Mine is definitely a more of a lighter style. Okay. And uh, it, uh, it very much does its own thing. It's very just, it's a very energetic wine and just has a lot of different things going on. The one that I make and grow and... Uh, yeah, that one's definitely. Um, I think Grenache is so, such a pretty wine. The yes. aromatics of Grenache are, and especially here in Paso, like the aromatics, the, that floral, that cherry, that you know, the, is just right. Is just yeah, give me more. Yeah, yeah, and they're, you know, we're, they're just making it in so many different ways now. Whether it's amphoras or right. concrete and. Uh, you know, we do mostly neutral barrel or like ten yeah. percent uh, used barrels, uh, Pinot barrels, and uh, 
yeah, it's just really, it's a really fun variety to work with. Yeah, and see what other people are doing as well. And so, um, yeah, really complex. So this Zinfandel, tell us about the actual Zinfandel. It's the 2018. Yeah, the 2018, um, actually just really developing here just in the last couple months. Uh, We just bottled it in June. And so fairly young in the bottle, but it's just starting to, Sometimes the wines can go through a little bit of a bottle shock when you bottle it, and uh, this has just started to develop in the last couple months, and it's just beautiful. It has a nice, like, spicy, like, uh, clove on it, and the cranberries. It's very, uh, and it has that pepper as well, too. But everybody's like, oh, I'm going to buy those for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's been really uh, fun watching it just in the last couple months. And uh, then I have the 2020 um, vintage here that's coming from the barrel, and we're going to bottle that in January. And we just have 50 cases of that. Uh, this one is a little bit bolder. Uh, this was definitely a lighter style. And so, but again, with our winemaking, you know, a lot of our, you know, the grapes do the talking. So if it's, in a climate year where you don't get any heat in August, you know, or it was a low rain year, you know, or we had a really bad June gloom, you know, come through. And so uh, that all dictates into how these wines are made. And so you're with us, you're going to get a, a couple dif- couple similarities because it's in the same soil and everything. My watering program is fairly consistent, the same every year. But uh, you're not going to get the same exact wine every year. And I think that's what makes it fun. You know? Absolutely. Uh, I keep trying to explain to my friends who say they love wine, yeah. but don't really love wine. Um, you know, they, they're buying those brands that it's, you know, the 2015 vintage tastes exactly the same as the mm-hmm. 2016, as the 17, as the 18, as the 20. And I keep trying to explain to them, there's a reason why they taste exactly the same. Right. But, yeah. hey, if you like it, you like it, you yeah. know? And they're, they, they're great wines. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but people expect them to stay the same. And those companies make, uh, wineries make uh, a lot of uh, gallons of wine. Oh. So they're able to blend and make it the way they want it. And, you know, people want consistency. Yeah. That's great, yeah. you know? You know? They like that wine. Their palate likes that wine. And good for them. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah, but you know, our we try to be different, and again, you know, let the you know let the uh, nature take its course. And so yeah. So is this 2018 available now? It is. Okay. Yeah, and we have that for thirty dollars a bottle, and um, yeah, again, it's just a really great wine. The 2020 that's coming out too is going to be different as well, and so. Uh, 2020 was definitely a below average year as far as rain goes, uh, from what I remember. And uh, 2018 was okay, I think. But yeah, uh, and it looks like we're going to get more rain this season, hopefully. So. We are getting a lot of rain yeah. this season. Usually yeah. what happens, and been the trend lately, is like we get like eight inches, you know, by like January 1st, and then everything drops off. It's just like, what, what happened? Yeah. Like, where, did, where did it all go? Yeah, yeah, just, we need more, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, definitely different wines here, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, so you yeah, have the 2018 and 20, did you not do a Zinfandel in 19? Um, I 
did, but I made it all for a client. Oh, okay. And uh, and I made it for Filipponi and uh, winery down there. I was the winemaker there for about a year, and so uh, yeah, made it all for them. And I had a little bit left over, uh, but I ended up just. You know, it was only like 15 gallons, so I ended up just throwing it in with the 20 And uh, so, uh, yeah, it wasn't enough to make a, a significant amount of cases. And so, but yeah, uh, so yeah, we missed that year, uh, but we do have 2021, and uh, that is the last vintage of that vineyard. And so, uh, yeah, you find that it can happen a lot. Um, I made a Chardonnay in 2019, and they ripped that up the next year. And that was in Edna Valley. It was just uh, this beautiful Chardonnay. But they were old. They were like 25 years old. Oh. And, and uh, just really beautiful grapes. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, though that is a problem with sourcing, right? Like, you're never... You're in control to some aspect, mm-hmm. right? If you have a good relationship, well, you are, the, <laughs> you are the person who's maintaining it. But, you know, if you have a good relationship with the vineyard manager of that site, you can... You can get the fruit to be the way you want it to be. Yeah. But at any given moment, they can say, "Nope, I don't want these these vines anymore." Right. And they can be ripped out, or they can do. And now you've lost your source. Right. That you've been doing it, and now it's almost like starting over again because it's not going to be that same, you know, style. Even though vintage to vintage, there's variances. You still have your winemaking style to that vineyard site, right? right? Yeah. And Again, you have to adapt. You have to adapt. Yeah, well, I think the biggest to one, be like that leaf hopper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, I think the biggest one right now is in the valley. Uh, I have no idea what a lot of those wineries did. So a company bought Paragon uh, Vineyards, and they're a citrus company, and uh, and they ended up ripping out almost half. Uh, their vines to put in citrus and uh, it's fine for them you know but like all these wineries like okay where, where are we going to buy fruit you know like you know, we had to kind of scramble and you know either you know they plant more of a certain variety that they need and, but uh, but that's the other thing it's not it, even if you're planting that's not a one year turnaround right right yeah you no know? yeah you gotta wait four or five okay. years yeah so it's uh it's interesting, but yeah, as to your point, you know, developing a right relationship with these growers, you know, I've had, uh, I have st- really good relationships with people. Um, a lot of times if they have any extra, uh, which last year, people were still pretty timid just be from COVID, um, uh-huh. increasing their production a little farther just because everything went on hold. And so they were a little nervous about it last year and then 2020 as well. And so there was a lot of extra grapes. It was even it was a high yield, right? In general, and so what uh, you know, you had people calling up like vineyard guys and saying, "Hey, I got an extra ton," or you know, because they picked it that day. Right? Do you want Want this? Like, da da da. And you have to like scramble, you know, like do a little bit of that. Uh, Find kind of fun, but you know. Yeah, relationships like that, and sometimes you can get a little bit of a lower price because they're trying to get rid of it. And uh, but yeah, again, you know, developing relationships with vineyard growers in the area uh, is really awesome. But, yeah, that's fantastic. And now, so you've also traveled quite a bit, right? You've been to Spain, and so do you. Do you have a favorite autonomous region? Like, is there a certain part of Spain that you love? Yeah, um, I did. We did a coast tour, uh, 
my wife at the time. Uh, we did Spain and from Barcelona all the way down to uh, up to Lisbon, and so we just did the whole coast. Just amazing area, and Tintos were definitely my favorite over there, and those are you know, red blends, and it was primarily Rhone blends mixed with uh, Spanish varieties and Syrah Tempranillos, Grenache Tempranillos, and they were just so good and. And so cheap. So cheap. <laughs> it definitely had like a little, like, I guess it, you could call it a higher tier, but like maybe like mm. five euros more. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so cheap, so good, so energetic, just like acid pro profiles, you know, with you know, fruit flavors, just like mm. so awesome. And, uh, and, the other thing too is what I like doing with my winemaking is food pairing. I'm really a big foodie and friends with some of the chefs in this area. And so I like making those kinds of wine because those wines over there are all derived around food. Right. You know, they're not making, you know, big bombs and you know, nothing against those wines. They're awesome in this area, but like sometimes it can be too big and cover up the food that you're making and uh, doesn't necessarily pair. So yeah, all the wines over there were just everything like matched up, yeah. you know, and, and with a large amount of different foods yeah. too. And so um, definitely the, the Tinto, I make a Tinto as well, a Syrah Tempranillo blend, and that's where I got inspired from that, yeah. And then also we have a white Sorvino Verde, mm -hmm. uh, which essentially means green wine, and that had a little bit of effervescence on it, which is oh, okay. typical. Of, yeah. It's, it's kind of gone a little bit down over the years, but uh, it's still there's still a little bit of a bite there. And uh, making a true vino verde. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the grapes on that are Verdello and Fermentino, and uh, and they're from here also. Uh, yes. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We got those grapes from. Um, Vienna Robles. Oh, okay. Know, and uh, again, grower relationship is where I worked. And so, and Suki over there is like, yeah, if you want it, if you pick it, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to deal with it. So. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was just really, really great wines. Those two were kind of. I try to do something new every year, and just okay. and it's more my you know creative side, my music side, kind of kicks in and. I don't want to do the. Uh, I definitely have. We have a program here of certain wines that we do every year. Okay. But just trying something fun. We're doing an orange wine this year, uh, which is from what? Uh, Roussan and Guignet. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so it's our first one doing that, and uh, and it's uh, really turned out really great. Uh, we went to Giornata over there, and Steph over there, and she was wonderful, and got a lot of again, uh, being taught, you know things to look for in orange wines and, and uh, she has an amazing list of orange wines that she makes and they're all beautiful and uh, so she was really helpful in like helping us and kind of coaching us on like you know what, what do you want you know what do you want to achieve you know da, 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 da. I have enough of a background I, I kind of get what she's okay. saying and how to tweak it and stuff like that yeah, it's really fun. We're actually going to bottle that in probably February with our rosé. So, yeah, we're looking forward to that one. And so, yeah, really floral right now. Is it? Yeah, it's really floral. Very cool. It's got this, like, orange blossom uh, nose to it. Mm -hmm. uh, really, really fun. And what's the, like, tannic structure of it? It's fairly light, like, which is interesting. Uh, we pulled it uh, a little late. Uh, 
that heat wave that came, uh, we just didn't have room for it yet and labor. And so we actually pulled it in mid that heat wave. And so wasn't super stoked about that, but it ended up turning great, turning out great. We, we added in, we did some whole cluster with it, which we thought would get a little bit more tannin mm -hmm. structure, but it ended up not. I think the Roussan was just, it's such a, a creamy uh, grape, uh, almost like a big bodied Chardonnay, uh, without the oak, but the viscosity, right. I think kind of covers that up a little bit, but the tannins are soft and uh, we've poured it for a couple of people in the industry. I haven't taken it over to Steph yet. I'm kind of excited to do that. And, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's beautiful, really soft. I think a, a great first trial for it. I think we might make it again, so yeah. See, sometimes you do things like picking when you're not really planning on picking, Maybe that's a trick. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe, you know. It's kind of fate, you know. Yeah. It's kind of the universe and how it works out, you know, is what it is kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that I've learned and, you know, I used to get worked up about certain things and, man, just be super upset about it. And you just can't do that, you know, during this time. You know, definitely this year people were a little upset because we had to, a lot of people had to pull everything off a lot of people were done in early october yeah. with their harvest which is like unheard of you know so they took off a lot of things early just not getting those complex you know lengthened out flavors and but you know like you regroup recover and it's like it is what it is right. you know, make you it work it. yeah so yeah just can't stress about it so you guys actually have a wine club that's i guess in honor of your mom's love of East of Eden. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the East of Eden one is our smaller one, three bottle shipment. Uh, three bottle, three shipments uh, a year. And then we also have the Steinbeck, which is a six bottle, uh, three times a year. And uh, yeah, and it's growing. And uh, we're starting to get more well known here in the community. Uh, we do a lot of networking and uh, a lot of friends that we've uh, developed in the industry and then also downtown with the restaurants. And, yeah, so yeah, trying to increase that wine club. So, but yeah, it's so funny. People come in and say, I have eight wine clubs. <laughs> so, then why not nine? Like, yeah, it's just, <laughs> you should shave down a little bit and do arts. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think a lot of people like our wines just because they're different, they're lighter. Uh, you know, people are wanting to to do that and explore that kind of realm uh, of different you know ways that Zinfandel or Syrah or Grenache is made and grown and taste you know it's uh, well I definitely think the lighter alcohol is uh, I'm gonna call it a trend but I don't think because I think it's staying um, but yeah. you know I think people are looking for options that are lighter alcohol wines uh, and with being the Templeton Gap that really is a beautiful sweet spot for being allowed to do that um, yeah. you know I think the biggest thing like this this heat wave that we had this year you know people who picked because the sugars were high mm -hmm. right well they were fake they're really fake readings right because as soon as the temperature drops the, right, right? Yeah. and so what you got was a ripe fruit but you didn't get a phenolic 
Right. Right. And your Which, acids are gone. Yeah, right. Because you're water. And, right. Uh, that's right. a big part of it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. um, to, and the Templeton Gap with that wind that comes in and that cooling, um, you know, it was probably a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it was a rough haul. Yeah. <laughs> it was a rough haul. What I've started to do the last couple of years is in August adding on uh, either humic acid or phosphoric acid, which you can get. Um, organic versions of those and the idea with that and citric acid can also do it too so a very natural product is you're trying to lower the ph of the water that you're putting on so it's not changing uh it's kind of holding it still and so you're not you know adding the seven point Typically, it's yes, it's six point eight, you know, anywhere, anywhere. six point eight seven two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're trying to get that down so you can compensate for that, and it's actually, you know, worked okay. Yeah, and uh, kind of just held it still. Yeah. And uh, if you're watering, but yeah, those vines they'll they'll shut down if they get to a certain amount of heat and just yeah stay there. Yeah, and uh, they'll shut down, but those grapes will go up and so uh, sugars will go up. Yeah, it's the uh, Really interesting. Yeah, this year was definitely <laughs> an interesting year. A lot of boo-boo-faced winemakers walking around and, uh, and getting upset. There's a low yield year, it too. It was an extremely low and, yield. Uh, yeah, I felt really you know, bad for the people buying my grapes. I was like, sorry. You know, like, just not here. Yeah. yeah. You, know, and, you know, so it's, uh, but yeah, again, it's going with the flow, you know. Which is a hard thing to do in this industry. Yeah, yeah. So. but we do have wine to console us. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Yes, yeah, Just, yeah, and that's one of the great things about this industry is like <laughs> trading bottles with people. Absolutely, it's just so awesome. It's just you know, just so many talented people out there, and you know whether make, they're making five hundred cases or you know, uh, yeah, five thousand cases or yeah, yeah, five hundred. So. It's, it's uh, a lot of talent out there in Paso, and we're starting to get on the map. You know, we're getting rid of, written up a lot yeah. uh, around the country, so uh, it's exciting to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, where can they find you? Yeah. So, obviously, the tasting room. We're online. Uh, we have a about ten vendors in this area. We're down at Central Coast Wines in San Luis Obispo, right there downtown. And then um, also at the Ale House, the old Ale House, and Beerwood in Los Osos. We just got into the Catch a few months ago um, downtown. He was selling our GSN. And then um, we we're getting into Bellicera over oh, here. Oh, nice. Uh, Enoteca is the restaurant. And uh, Daniel over there is really great. And are we out in Mistura down in San Luis Obispo? Fantastic Peruvian based food. Uh, uh, Nicola is just mm. a really great uh, cook and runs a tight ship. And he actually bought some Syrah for me to distill to make, oh. uh, to make uh, higher alcohol. Oh. But he said it was just so good, he had to set aside. <laughs> <laughs> for like his actually personal wine so it's like funny but uh, those are it right now we we will have we're having 
about four more come up here. Okay. January is uh, kind of a low time for restaurants, and so, uh, and then they also change their uh, menu. Uh, that's the other thing of these restaurants, so they're very uh, seasonal. Yeah. And uh, as far as their menus, this is awesome. And so they'll pick wines for, for it's coming up. Exactly. So mm-hmm. it'll be rosé season coming up here very quick. So yeah. we'll have our, our rosé in a lot of different places. And so, Grenache? Uh, it's Grenache, Syrah, Mavendre. It's a GSM. Oh, it's a GSM yeah. rosé. Yeah, nice. but it's predominantly either Grenache or Mavendre. Uh, this year, it was predominantly Grenache, I believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Just a touch of Syrah because it just has so much color. <laughs> We're trying to get that, you know, peach pink. That, yeah. That color that everybody wants. Exactly, right? yeah. But uh, yeah, once, you know, we already have like orders for okay. people, like wholesale, they're like, just let me know no, when I get the bottle. Yeah, so it's like, okay. You know, it's like, nice. So yeah, everybody usually sells out in like six months and nice. it's gone. So yeah, yeah can't make awesome. enough of it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm excited that you guys are here and uh, I'm excited that we're going to be part of it. Yeah. And, uh, but I'm looking forward. We will taste and that will be on Instagram and all of that stuff. And um, But thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, this is great. It was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Bud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kevins. Until next week, slancha. Give me the red, red wine. Give me the white, white wine. Give me the sweet, sweet wine. Give me the wine. Give me the wine. No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. Never let you go. Oh, oh. No, no, no. Never let you go. Nice glass right now.